And here we go. Let's <laughs> this goose. <laughs> I don't apocalypse on Shabbos. <laughs> Trump Shabbos. <laughs> I say that doesn't sound like too good of a story for him then. <laughs> yes, it's an 80s film, but it's a quintessential 80s film. That motherfucker gets me excited about science. But yes, I, I do think that this movie requires a couple more views. I have the same cup size as Doc Hawk. <laughs> Give me my sandwich. <laughs> no crusts. Was it an instant classic for you? Uh, no. Welcome to Don't Be Crazy Podcast. I'm Justin Kavanagh. With me, as always, is Mr. Zachary Rancourt. Here we discuss and dissect what makes a film past or present absolutely amazing or just pure rubbish. All that we ask of each other, don't be crazy. Don't be crazy, Zach. It's a pretty fitting title for a film like this, but yeah. Hey, man, how are you? I'm good. Yeah. What uh? What flavor of giggle? <laughs> what flavor of giggle juice you drinking this morning? Oh, the same. You know, the, the <laughs> black and green can of the Monstro. Original blend. Yeah. <laughs> I don't do. I don't do flavors. I just oh. do the regular. No all natural. Mm-mm. I nope. had a. Uh, a rock star the other day and it said like thermo on it and it was oh, all sugar free and stuff. I don't know what that means. I don't either. It sounds intense yeah. though. It made me super strong. So sweet. Oh, I was strong once. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> um before we jump into a podcast, uh do you have anything that you saw recently besides the film we were about to do? Last night I watched once upon a time in Hollywood. Hollywood. I, I had seen it before, um, but Alex had not, so we watched it together. And that's uh, like that's a good movie. You should go see. <laughs> I fully agree with you. Did she like it? Yeah, she liked it a lot. Cool. I loved. I loved Brad Pitt and Leo. I think that they were such a good tandem in that film, and mm-hmm. I could watch. I could watch them for hours. Just yeah, being buddies. Yeah, and she's she's obsessed with like murder shows, and um, she's very very familiar with the events that happened the the night with the Manson family, and um, she was on edge the whole movie. <laughs> Good. That's yeah. well, I, think, I think that's exactly what Tarantino was trying to do. I mean, I was too. I I I knew about them, and I knew enough about them that the entire time they kept showing Sharon Tate, I was like, okay, when's this gonna happen? And it right. just, yeah, especially yeah. when she's pregnant, and then the night that you know it's gonna happen, um, there there's a time code at the bottom. You know, it's like five p.m. and then whatever seven p.m. So you know it's just getting closer and closer and closer, yeah. which um, sort of builds up the hype. I, I love when he goes outside with the with the blender full of margaritas and starts yelling at the hippies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And he just takes oh. a swig of it after as he leaves. It's so great. And this really movie good. does a really good job of just showing how dirty hippies can be. And it, it grosses me out, man. Oh, I know. When they're like digging through the trash for all the food and stuff. Oh, I hate it. So, 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 <laughs> no, so did I. No, I don't. So this was pre, pre-Justin pre Cavender, so I can't speak for it. But <laughs> I, I'm just curious if this is more... Hollywood's perception of hippies or if that's really how things were. I'm I'm curious about that. Like do do people in their normal goings ons driving by to see a hippie and just think grossest human being in the world <laughs> and this is the interpretation <laughs> of it? Or like that's their perception? Or 
did like people's parents actually go out there and, and dumpster dive and eat, eat pickles on the side of the road? I don't, I'm just curious. <laughs> <laughs> if you know or you were a hippie, please uh, reach out to at DV Crazy Pod and, and just let me know your hippie habits. I, I have to, I have to know. Hippie habits. We'll make it. A, we'll make it a weekly segment. <laughs> I just don't get it. I can't live like that. If, if I'm if I'm awake for more than like an hour and I haven't showered, I am just mad at the world. <laughs> I go. I can go a couple days without showering, but that's usually. Oh my god, I'm, I can't do that. No. Well, it's when I'm out in the woods and like backpacking and stuff. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I feel you. I'm not gonna dig through the trash for food. I'm gonna go to the store or a restaurant like a normal person and, and buy things. Oh, <laughs> when I go camping, I gotta take my portable shower that I bought off Sky Mall. Yikes! <laughs> I just use a bottle of water to rinse myself. <laughs> so Alex is obsessed with murder mystery shows. Did she, did you watch the killing of or the the Aaron Hernandez thing on Netflix, like the making of a killer or whatever? Uh, no. Oh, it's really, really good. So Aaron Hernandez was a tight end for uh, the Patriots, and it turned out that he killed somebody and he possibly killed two other people. But it's this three-part uh, miniseries that I think you should watch. It's very, very good. I I binged it uh, the other day, and it's it's very, very enthralling and um, sheds light on a situation that I knew about but didn't – I mean, thought I knew a lot about, but apparently I didn't. So she would like it a lot, and it's on the Netflix but um, I watched that and I also watched 1917. I saw that in theaters and I recorded a pod snack on it. Uh, that movie was incredible. It just was absolutely incredible. And and <clears throat> after the fact that I saw it as it sat and I thought about it more, I just absolutely loved it. It was it was breathtaking, basically. So, yeah, you're breathtaking. That's what I watched. Thanks, man. But anyways, what movie are we doing today, Justin? We are doing Todd Phillips's Joker. Joker. <laughs> I'm a smoker. I'm a midnight toker. He sings it differently. That's that's Steve Miller. No, I know, but it doesn't sound like <laughs> that when he sings it. I know, I know, I know. But Yes, this movie is directed by Todd Phillips, uh, who this is his first real. Well, I shouldn't say this is his first mainstream dive into drama or something outside of the comedy realm. Uh, most he is most famous for The Hangover, but uh, it was written by Todd Phillips and Scott Silver. This movie stars Joaquin Phoenix, Robert De Niro, Zashi Beats, Francis Conroy, isn't Brett it, Cullen. Isn't it Zazzy Beats? So I I looked it up because I always said Zazzy Beats, but um I just looked up a couple articles and it says it's Zossi, like how she says it. And I don't think it's uh, Beats. I think it's Bates. Zashi Bates. Zashi Bates. Battlestar Galactica. I don't know. She's she's absolutely beautiful, and I have loved the things that she's been in, and I loved her as Domino in um, uh, Deadpool 2. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Brett Cullen, Shay Wigham, Bill Camp, Glenn Fisher, and Lee Gill. I'll leave it at that. Uh, yeah, uh, you have the reviews in front of you. Yeah. I do, but real quick, uh, Todd Phillips. Sure. Uh, yeah. Road Trip was one of like my, my favorite comedies. Oh, I forgot he did that. Old school. You mean so modern? That was like modern planes, trains, and automobiles. Yeah, <laughs> it was basically uh, the kids are trying to. They're racing to to Austin, Texas, to get rid of a tape that has scandalous material on it. Um, it was really good. It starred Breckenmeyer and Sean William Scott. 
Oh, I'm so sorry. All... I, I was thinking, I was thinking due date. Due date is is modern. Yeah, that's different. Um, okay, but that was also directed by Tom yeah. Phillips. Okay, road trip. Yes, I know what you're talking about. Tom Green and everything. Yeah, Austin, Austin, Massachusetts, uh, <laughs> Boston, Texas. <laughs> it's so good. I I love that Unleash movie. Unleash the fury, Mitch. Oh man. Unleash the fury. <laughs> oh man, I saw that movie just before I went off to college, like the night before. Did you think college was going to be just like that? Um, yeah, I mean, for the most part, um, <laughs> and it was shenanigans um old school did you kill a cheetah no i did not <laughs> oh geez um old school it's great starsky and hutch i love that movie too um just a lot of fun about the hangover obviously um so he's he's got some uh pretty amazing comedies under his belt very funny man in the um oh gosh what was it did he do wedding crashers no but I like that movie too. Old school. Oh yeah, old school. So when he knocks on the door, he's like, hello, is this? Yeah, I'm here for the gangbang. The gangbang? Yeah. <laughs> That's him too. He's also in Road Trip as well. And he's in Hangover. He's the guy in the elevator yeah. who as soon as they get on the elevator, he's like comes, he stands up from going down on his on his wife. Yeah. He usually has a cameo. Well, he oftentimes has a cameo in his feature films. And in this one, he played the Joker. <laughs> I don't think that is accurate. <laughs> uh, but yes, uh, let's go ahead and just consult some reviews. Not uh, not everyone was blown away by this movie. Uh, I, this is one of those times where um, the audience score is higher than the critic score on the old Rotten Tomatoes. Audience score is 88% while um, the critic score is 69% which is fascinating to me, but we shall see. I mean, it's not uncommon for when critics hate a movie, the audience loves it and vice versa. I just, for a movie of this caliber, uh, where the Academy is just, uh, sucking on the proverbial clown P noose, as it were, um, <laughs> 11 Academy nominations. That's, that's a lot. Yeah. It has the most this yeah. year. So and which I think is absolutely hysterical from from a certain point of view, because um, comic book fans, uh, myself included, always get a little uh, irritated with the Academy for not taking these movies seriously. Um, I mean, all the way to like Avengers Endgame, where you had uh, over a decade's worth of material building up to this final moment. That's a really big deal and a huge accomplishment. And it's number one movie in the world. and. It's just like, eh, fuck that. <laughs> Never mind. It's like bankrolling the whole goddamn town, but people just want to forget about that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, well, in the academy, the academy usually favors films that come out uh, within, you know, award season. So within the past three months or something, the majority of films came out during that time. Like Joker came out in October. Yeah, what's upon a time? Nineteen seventeen is out July, now. Though. <clears throat> That's true, and it de- it depends on how hard the studio is going to push things. But I mean, Us came out in 2019, and and Lupita Nyong'o has zero nominations this year, which is a travesty. But there's there's a lot of issues with the Academy that I don't oh, like. Yeah. But when they when they do get things right, I'm right. pretty happy. And then never it. happens. But anyway, what I was saying with with uh, with comic book <laughs> movies, uh, everyone uh, a large portion of the audience is like, oh, this is bullshit. The Academy is always you know ignoring comic book movies. Blah blah blah. And then the movie that 
that has stirred up so much just hate and controversy and just plagues my Twitter feed with people annoyed <laughs> with this movie. It's the one that's getting the recognition, and I find that hysterical in, in a Joker sort of way. <laughs> but I digress. Anyway, uh, let's see here. Mr. Rex Reed from The Observer. He's got a, he's got a good one. Uh, a movie that borders on genius repellent. Dark, terrifying, disgusting, <laughs> brilliant, and unforgettable. In every way. Um, you know, that old chestnut. Um, let's see here. Matthew Rosa from Salon.com. While it succeeds in aping the superficial aspects of Martin Scorsese's style, Joker lacks the intelligence or gravitas of Scorsese's best work. So it's mm-hmm. an ugly world. Uh, in fact, Jordan Hoffman from The Guardian, he says, bleak and juvenile. Which I think that's fascinating that he says juvenile because I would argue that this is Todd Phillips's most mature movie. <laughs> so I don't, I don't yeah. understand why he says that. Um, because I feel like it is the exact opposite. I feel like as someone that has watched Todd Phillips films for the last 20 years, um, there's a big difference between road trip and Joker. <laughs> Maybe I'm crazy. I don't know. But when you're, when you're, when your resume reads movies like due date and hangover and old school and, and freaking road trip, to do something like Joker, I feel like that is a complete 180 outside of the normal comfort zone. But what do I know? Yeah, I'm I'm curious what his definition of juvenile is because that's that's really interesting that he right. put that. But you know, whatever. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Rachel Wagner, we know her. She did some Batman reviews. <laughs> Was she the Christian Science Review? <laughs> no, 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 no. She's RachelReviews.net. <laughs> She she was she was very popular during our Batman. Oh, that's uh, right. Yeah, podcasts. Yeah, yeah. She watched them all in a row. She shotgunned that shit. We love and you, Rachel. I think I feel like she liked. She might have liked Batman and Robin. I don't remember, but there was something about her that made me laugh, and I liked her style. <laughs> I like the cut of her jib. Uh, let's see. Here. Uh, his story wasn't interesting to me because there was never a valid option for him to choose a different path. That's interesting Mm -hmm. because I feel like he was trying to be a good person the entire, from what we know of Arthur Fleck, he was always a sweet man until the beginning of this movie. We had no reason to believe that he was ever really a bad person. I think it was him just being pushed over the edge, but whatever. Maybe I saw a different (laughs) movie. You probably saw Falling Down. Right. (laughs) (laughs) This was used, man. This was used. It's a really good movie. Um, yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, let's see here. Mina Tekla from Awards Watch. Todd Phillips creates a terrifying masterpiece and one of the best and most daring comic book films ever made. Hmm. Bold and daring. Anyway. Okay, so that that's pretty much um, not quite split down the middle, but, but pretty close. A lot of people... Uh, I think a lot of people think it's okay and cool to not like this movie. A lot of my a lot of my friends and on my social circle in in Twitter are very upset with this movie and didn't even give it the time of day. 
which I find fascinating because it's someone like me that likes to critique movies or um, just talk about them. It's hard for me to say something sucks or is terrible or a waste of time when I haven't even seen it. Yeah, that's true. I've gotten better about that um, where I would look at something and be like, oh, I think that's going to be crap or, oh, I think that's garbage. But then I am like, you know what? I need to actually watch it. So, yeah. Right, right. And, and, and I totally get it. I mean, if it's if it's not your cup of tea, then I don't encourage you to drink the dirt flavored water that is the movie. But um, I just think it's a little absurd to say something is a waste of time or garbage when you haven't even taken the time to to view it for yourself. Right. In fact, sometimes when you have low expectations, it, it's for the better because <laughs> it can only go up from there <laughs> in most cases. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, not that I'm arguing you should see this movie, but I do think that it's one of those times where you should just uh, maybe keep your mouth shut. If you're not going to watch it, then you have no opinion in the matter. Right. <laughs> and that goes for anything. Um, there are some movies that you go on and on about that you just love and I can roll my eyes cause you can't see me. Um, but I would never just say, oh yeah, movie sucks, but whatever. <laughs> it is what it is. Rama, rama, rama. Um, uh, box office wise, this is, uh, literally the most profitable comic book movie of all time. Mm. Uh, it only cost 96 well how much did it cost to make it was 55 uh, million 55 55 million yeah so 55 million dollars to make which is pretty cheap today Mm. especially when you're shooting in the city um they pretty much took over new york it's pretty crazy um and then it it worldwide it surpassed a billion dollars that's uh that's impressive that's a that's a feather in todd phillips's cap (laughs) yeah that's a lot of money now, do you consider this a comic book movie? Um, yeah, you know, I, I think we'll we'll discuss that a little more later because I'm I'm kind of on the fence. I think it has elements of the com- comic book. Uh, well, its source material comes from comics, obviously, but I think right. it completely goes off the rails, and I don't think that it is necessarily trying to be a comic book film. Like, I don't I don't see joker coming back in a new dcu fighting fighting robert pattinson's batman i i I don't see that happening but i think it's just one of those things that they took some source material and kind of made this so So, what's have you have you ever seen jaws 3 Uh, jaws 3d you mean yeah yeah yeah, (laughs) with uh i mean it's not 3d when you watch it on your tv but yes right dennis quaid yes yes have you seen that Mm -hmm. so in the credits it says suggested by the novel Jaws, <laughs> which makes zero sense. <laughs> but I feel like this movie's in that same category. Suggested by the comic book <laughs> Batman. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally. So so absurd. But I mean, uh, we can get into this in a second, but I do think it is absolutely fascinating that while I can say I liked this movie, um, or I can recognize that it that it was shot very very well and a and a and a very interesting story. It is a very ugly Gotham and an ugly world with horrible people. And I'm not in any particular rush to watch it again. 
that is, uh, that's kind of how I felt too. <laughs> um, and actually, you know, I had tweets and stuff from it back then, but I remember telling my friend, yeah, I, I I'm not, I don't, I don't want to go run out and see this again. I'm glad I saw it, but I feel icky. So, right. I mean, it makes sense for, for Gotham to be this ugly, awful, horrible place because that would help Batman with job security, but yeah, it's just not pleasing to the eye. Well, and I think that's a representation too of uh, nondescript big city USA uh, around around those times. I mean, trash, uh, crumbling society, you know, failed healthcare system, all that kind of stuff. Right. The one percent. Yeah. The wealthy getting wealthier, and the poor getting poorer. Mm -hmm. Healthcare, mental hospitals shutting shutting down statewide. Hospitals shut. Excuse me, shutting down. Yeah. Left out. People left out in the cold. I mean, it's all real stuff. It's ugly. We, if you're fortunate enough and you're able to not have to live in a world like that, then, you know, God bless you. But there are other people out there that are suffering and it's brutal out there. Totally. And I mean, he even, he even says it. He's like, if that was me dying on the ground, you guys would just step over me and you wouldn't notice. And, you know, he's not that far off. Probably. There's probably a lot of people. It's the same way. So mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> some fun little facts. Joaquin Phoenix is, uh, or he based his laugh on videos of people suffering from pathological laughter. He also sought to portray a character with which audiences could not identify. Uh, yeah, I think that's that's fair. Yeah, <laughs> I, I couldn't really identify with him. No, his laugh was so creepy, man. When the moment he had it, when he has to go into his boss's office to talk to him, and he just starts cackling and then immediately turns it off, I got chills, and they were multiplying. Hmm. Uh, Todd Phillips described Joaquin Phoenix's take on Arthur as a guy who is searching for identity who mistakenly becomes a symbol. His goal genuinely is to make people laugh and bring joy to the world. There's that anarchist in him. Um, The filmmakers cite Alan Moore's comic The Killing Joke, which tells the Joker's origin and descent into insanity, and the Martin Scorsese films Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, and The King of Comedy as an influence on the film. So that's where that's where Marty comes in. Cool. Can I read the synopsis and then we can just jump right into it? Yeah, go for it. I promise you it's not that long. I wrote it with my with my bare hands. Arthur Fleck was put on this earth to make people laugh. By day, Arthur works as a performance clown in the gritty Gotham City. And for the rest of his time, he takes care of his sickly mother, Penny. Arthur is a good boy who enjoys the Murray Franklin show and dancing. But Arthur suffers from a condition in which he has compulsive, uncontrollable laughter. After getting fired for carrying a gun to work, Arthur is assaulted by three Wayne Industry employees on the subway. He shoots all three and runs off to try to grasp grasp what he just did. With a newly revised outlook on life, Arthur decides to pursue his attractive neighbor and his stand-up comedy career to a not-so-ideal result. Gotham City starts to riot as the stories of Arthur's killing inspire the less fortunate to repent against the rich, more so the likes of Thomas Wayne. Arthur then learns that Penny and Thomas had an affair and that he may be his real father. Arthur confronts Thomas only to be denied this allegation. Arthur then heads to Arkham to discover that his mother was, in fact, mentally ill and that she abused him as a child, giving him brain damage. With nothing to lose, Arthur goes on the Murray Franklin show to tell some jokes. He admits to the subway killings and claims that Gotham doesn't care about people like him. Arthur delivers his final punchline as he shoots Murray in the head. While he is being taken to jail, rioters set him free and glorify him as a hero. 
Meanwhile, a rioter sees the Wayne family entering a dark alley and kills Thomas and Martha. We finally see Arthur in a hospital laughing as he tells a psychiatrist that she wouldn't get his joke. Everything, everyone should have a chance to smile. So yeah, that's uh, pretty it. Pretty much it. It's, it's a easy enough plot to follow. But yeah. Um, okay. Well, I'm just, we'll, we'll start right now. What did you think when you first saw this movie? Can you, can you tell me about your experience too when you saw this? Because you saw it in theaters, right? I did. I saw it in uh, New York. I was in Manhattan. And I saw it right by Times Square. So t- take me back. Tell me how you saw it, uh, what happened, and um, what did you think after you left this movie? Sure, sure, sure. So I was I was in town for New York City Comic Con, and uh, Dave and I uh, went to the motion picture show. Um, there were actually police outside the theater because of folks were scared that things were going to happen, um, but we were safe and nothing to worry about. Um, I mean, if you remember when... Um, fucking Dark Knight Rises came out. There was that, that horrible person that went into a movie theater and shot a bunch of people. And then a police officer identified him as someone with face paint. And he looked like the Joker was his statement. And uh, so that got people on edge. And uh, anyway, so that's why that was that's why the police were there. Anyway, um, I said to the whole movie, I, I support Todd Phillips. I, I like his movies, So I wanted to go. Um, obviously, I love comic book movies. And uh, when it was. When it was over, Dave and I just kind of looked at each other like, all right, well, Todd Phillips obviously made the movie he wanted to make and good for him. Um, but I don't need to see this movie ever again. <laughs> I'm OK with that. <laughs> I mean, I can appreciate it. And I'm like, OK, that's, that's interesting. And it was dark. And and maybe this is the world that Gotham should be. And it shouldn't be all glitz and glam and and. And, and fun, maybe it should be a little bit horrible, but um, it was an interesting take and I can appreciate it for what it is. But again, it was just it was an ugly movie, man. And I'm just not thrilled. <laughs> Did uh, well, <laughs> does that, does that make sense? Yeah, no, 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 that makes a lot of sense. Was uh, was Dave kind of uh, uh, the same mind of thinking as you? Yeah, I think so. Uh, we talked about it a little bit. Um, I don't I don't think it. uh you know, I don't think I don't think it's a bad movie by any stretch of the imagination. Um, it is definitely a different take and a different idea of this character, and um, it's just it's just an ugly world that I don't really want to be a part. Of. Um, do you have a gauge of what the the audience thought? Like, did you hear any rumblings, or did your whole vibe in the theater? Were you able to figure out kind of what the audience thought of it? Um, yeah, I usually like to try and listen to what conversations are happening as I'm walking out of the theater. And I, people were pretty excited and they, and they enjoyed it. They, everyone that I noticed had a smile on their face and they were talking about the movie, which is usually a good thing. What about you? Um, yeah. So it's funny that you say. And, and it was a crowded theater too, by the way. The place was packed. Oh, really? Yeah. Mine was, mine was pretty packed, but it wasn't, I mean, I, I saw it with my, with my buddy, Matt, um, and when did we see it? We saw it like at a three o'clock showing or something like that because and it was in October. So the you know, you still had daylight and whatever. But um, I, you know, first and foremost, I thought Joaquin was incredible. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen a bad Joaquin Phoenix role. The guy is uh, such a talented actor 
And I was just blown away from the moment you see him on screen forcing that smile. I kind of was like, okay, I, this is going to be a dark movie. I mean, I knew it was, but that really, really creeped me out. And that kind of set the tone for the, for the rest of it for me. Um, my audience, my audience was okay. They laughed here and there at parts that maybe you shouldn't have laughed at or vice, you know, vice versa. And I was also doing that too. But when I, when I left and I think Matt felt the same way, we didn't really know what to think. I, I came out and I was like, man, that was awesome. But I need like, some sunshine and some candy and some puppy dogs to play with. Cause I was just feeling so down and it was just, I felt dirty. Like I needed to shower. Uh, I had a whole range of emotions though, like up and down. I couldn't settle on one. And you know, I, I thought I really liked it, but I didn't want to see it again. And I even tweeted about it too. I was just like, all right, I'll make a brief, but I absolutely love Joker movie. Acting was incredible. Pacing score set design were perfect. Yes. It's dark and unsettling, but this is an origin story for one of the most sinister and destructive villains in fictional history. Phillips did what Nolan accomplished in Batman begins. He translated comic to real life. Joker's origin is only different from Batman in that Joker kills, which is obviously horrible, but he's a villain. We are supposed to feel uneasy. I felt as much sympathy for Arthur as I did Thanos. <laughs> I think it was on the nose about media and how it has played a part in society. Also, maybe we should be more mindful and kind towards each other. So I don't, I, re- I wrote that back in October. I don't know if I'd necessarily agree with all of that still, because I don't think that this is an origin story um, and we'll get into that. But yeah, it was, uh, I think in the back of my mind, like you were saying, there were police outside of your theater and in New York City, it makes more sense. There were none outside of mine, but I definitely was thinking about that because the media sensationalized it in the real world that, you know, the shooting is a potential thing that could happen. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that that, you know, definitely added to the movie going experience. But um, OK, so the way this movie is presented warrants in elicitation of emotion from the viewers and that's what i was saying i my emotions were just kind of all over the place with this you know they were almost baiting me or goading me into feeling bad for arthur and at times i did but did you feel anything for him at all did you feel anything in general for this movie and and kind of like elaborate why uh yeah so i mean at the very beginning he's just you know he's dancing in front of a store that's going out of business and he's just trying to drive traffic to it and kids bully him and beat him up um that's that was pretty hard to watch he wasn't doing anything wrong it's honest work and he was you know jumped basically and i felt bad for him i mean i thought that set the tone pretty well that he is not living a happy life and then he goes to you know his uh he's got shock talk to his like caseworker or whatever and you can see that he has some serious emotional issues. And then when he goes home and he sees that, you know, you see that he's taking care of his mother. Um, yeah, I, I'd say that I felt bad for him. I can, I can appreciate that he has not like he's, he doesn't have ideal living situations and he's putting up with a lot. Uh, even his friend, his friends in quote at work are mean to him. So yeah, he's got it pretty rough. Do you think that Phillips was trying to, use that as a basic um i don't know conduit for saying why he became who he was just you know you can only be pushed so far before you you snap essentially yeah i think that that's fair um one thing that is interesting though is that 
because you know that he's going to ultimately be Joker, I feel like you are, we as the audience are just, you know, we are less sympathetic because we know how horrible he is. If we had no idea who this character was, then I think that we would be even more sympathetic. It's it's hard for someone to to feel bad for someone as 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 awful as this character, someone that that blows up buses full of kids or whatever. He's done terrible, terrible things, and so when you know that already, you don't really give a shit. You're just looking like, oh, that's just an excuse kind of thing, mm-hmm. as opposed to genuinely feeling sorry. But I feel like he tried to show that Arthur was a good person at some point, right? Even in the killing joke, I mean. Batman is is he understands that um, he's essentially the duality between him and Joker is is a thing. And he understands that the Joker is a person and that he still could be rehabilitated. He's just gone through so much, even the atrocious things that he's done. He could still technically be forgiven. And I think Batman wants to help him. So maybe that is kind of what Phillips was was pushing with this because you're right we all knew you know the the sinister person that joker becomes but yet this is the first r-rated comic book or first comic book film to gross a billion dollars or r-rated film or whatever gross a billion dollars i mean people obviously went to go see it knowing this uh so yeah that's that's really interesting that you say that though in terms of like for me i think there were moments in which I felt sorry for him because of how he was being treated. Like you said, with the sign stuff that was, it was really hard to watch. You don't want to see somebody get beat up for minding their own business and no, and no one helping him. Um, you know, I also feel bad for him when he finds out that his mother lied to him and that he was abused as a child because he, his, his, his condition makes him just laugh and you can see that he's in pain. So that was, I mean, that was all walking into by the way, but right. Yeah. The thing there though is, um, once you can place blame on someone, then I feel like for him, it just becomes like a, a free ticket to be upset. You know, yeah. like this now justifies it. You know, yeah. I, I am like this because of her. Now I'm upset and it's OK to go kill her now. Yeah. Um, but then that is not correct. Um, and when he even he's on the train and those three business Wall Street type guys are harassing him. Um, it's weird to say this, but. You know, I am not a violent person by any stretch of the imagination. And when he finally just this breaks and has had enough and fights back and kills these three men, you're, you're kind of glad. <laughs> you're like, what a bunch of fuckers. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a movie, so it's okay to feel that way, I think. But it's it's crazy how we were talking about this on a couple of podcasts ago when I was like at Medieval Times and how I'm like, how could anybody act like this? How could anyone, you know, try and kill somebody or, or torture somebody? And then two seconds into sitting in that chair, and I'm just like, yeah, rip his head off. <laughs> Red Knight's going down. Uh, down, down, down. <laughs> <laughs> the Blue Knight rules. The Red Knight sucks the big one. Um, and, and in that moment, I'm just like, finally, just fuck these guys. You know, they're terrible. Um, of course, killing is obviously bad, but these guys just would not let up. And um, that was that was interesting to see that turn. And how it was on in a dark and, and an ugly place like that subway. So, yeah, let's break that down really quick. So that I, I think that that is one of the best scenes in the film, in the film, one best segments in the film. So 
you know, he's he's at this point where he's he's lost the thing that he loves the most, his job, the thing that he had any type of like normalcy with. Right. And it was because his quote unquote friend gave him a gun to protect himself and ratted him out. So he was just kind of down and all he was doing was basically minding his own business where these these three creeps were, you know, being a, a dick to this woman and he couldn't control his laughing because it's his condition. So they yeah, essentially jump him, but then he kills him. So he, he starts shooting the guys and we root kind of for him. And you're right, that violence, it, it's weird that we're rooting for it. But I think there's a certain point when he chases down that last guy that you're like, okay, enough is enough. He's actually like chasing him down to to kill him, to mm-hmm. make sure that he doesn't run and tell the police. Because you you think of everything that happens after that. Like if he if he were to say that, or if he were to tell the cops, the cops are obviously going to believe the rich guys because one, they're white rich males, and two, uh, Arthur's quote unquote insane, and he should not be having a gun. So. I, that's where it gets it gets really blurry like you root and you're like good he defended himself but then it gets very very blurry after that and i think it, uh, in a lot of films where you have a vigilante who's who's doing these types of killings and becoming this sort of hero it's that weird kind of borderline question that you have is like is this okay why am i why am i enjoying this sort of thing right but i i i really did like that that scene a lot and that's when it kind of gets it gets really really weird for me because then you immediately see him you know struggling with his decisions and he runs to the to the bathroom and has has a dance party to a cello yeah he dances a lot let's talk about the dancing yeah please um i actually wrote a question for that that's perfect so why why do you think he dances so often um I don't know. Part of me thought it was just because he wants to be a performer. Mm. Um, and, and he's like, got like some sort of spotlight on him and it's his way of just sort of adding to his theatrics. But, um, I, I honestly have no like real good explanation. Like I don't understand. He's always dancing and it's kind of annoying <laughs> for me. I'm like, <laughs> I don't get it enough with the dancing. I'm finished with the checking of the bags conversation. <laughs> so I, I I think that it's, you know, it's his way of of seeming normal or viewing it as normal. A lot of people dance. I mean, I dance all the time when I'm just in my house. When when something good happens or something bad happens, it doesn't matter. I mean, there's no real rhyme or reason to dancing. You you do it based off your emotions. And in Jojo Rabbit, they kind of say that too. Like jo- Jojo is like, I don't know how to dance and um forgot the girl's name but she's like it doesn't matter you just you just dance because it makes you feel good and i think that that is is part of it with him i mean he is we we see him evolve with his dancing because you know you get that real creepy scene when he's in his house and he's he's like my name is arthur you're a really good dancer he's like i know <laughs> and shoots the wall yeah. <laughs> yeah just having a conversation with himself yep. yeah yeah he, he he definitely daydreams a lot you know he fantasizes he's having these conversations he's always on um what is it the murray show the murray franklin and, show. yeah and you know it's fun to to daydream and to think about what could be but it's dangerous for him because he can't escape that world. He's always in it. Yeah. And it's very problematic to be stuck in daydreams. Um, especially if you're, you're not the most sane person. Right. I mean, then that's his happy place and that's, that's fine. I mean, we all need one. 
Um, but well, it's you got to be able to to get out of that and snap back to reality. So ultimately, that's kind of what this whole thing is, right? It's in a yeah. matrixy sort of way. <laughs> What's real? <laughs> yeah. Well, and and I like that they they show the evolution of the dance because you know when he's on the Murray Franklin show, he does this kind of hypnotic dance as he comes in it's eerily creepy but it actually fits his persona with with all the the makeup and and the costume um it's i think it it works really well on that point and then at the the end of the movie he dances right after the ambiguity of the killing of the psychiatrist you see him doing his dance again so and then you have the famous stair scene too and that's the stair scene is kind of like when he is you know he's like fuck everything else I am who I am now. And he finally understands what, what his life's purpose is. So, right. He embraces it. Yeah. I think it's just his most lowest and highest emotional points. And I think that after the subway scene, when he runs into the bathroom and is having his like flash dance, he, um, he decides to kind of, that's, that's how it calms him down. Essentially. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, his, so I think that he strives for this normalcy though. And you can apparent you can clearly, clearly see that in the scene in which he is at Pogo, the comedy club, and he's writing jokes while listening to a stand up comedian. Do you remember that scene that I'm talking about? Yeah. So Mm -hmm. there's it's real. It's not super subtle, but he's laughing at all the wrong times and he's missing all the social cues. Like he just starts laughing as the guy's talking normally and he doesn't laugh as the whole crowd does. I think that small scene just shows how out of touch Arthur is from societal norms. Like he, he, he doesn't get it. He doesn't get those jokes and you can see him write those things down. He's like sex jokes are funny or something. It's, it's so interesting that one 30 second scene of, of how it kind of sets up Arthur as a character. Right. So, um, yeah, I was hoping you'd go longer on that. <laughs> uh, no, it's okay. So, I mean, what, do you, what do you want me to say? I want you to say, I wish I could quit you. Um, <laughs> so, I listen to Wisecrack a lot. It's a really good podcast. But they did uh, show me the meaning on Joker uh, a few months ago. And it was it was really good. But uh, they brought up an amazing point. So, we were talking about Todd Phillips and all of his comedy films and everything. Um, so, he's obviously, he's a comedic director. What... What what if he purposely mirrored this film off of the preconceived expectations of his directorial style? So basically what I'm saying is this movie could be viewed as a dark comedy um, with the absurdity of things happening and the constant breaks and breaks in tension. But do you think it's maybe people were like, oh, he's going to do this dramatic, serious film, but he's a comedic direct- director. How could he do that? Now, there are some interpretations of this film that it was a dark comedy, and it's really interesting the evidence behind it. But like to me, I felt it as a very dramatic film. So what if it's Todd Phillips being like, look, this is how I'm going to do drama. I'm a comedic director, and I'm going to leave it very, very unclear for you, and you have to decide. Sure. So I think I think a lot of dramas have like funny moments. Uh, I think that that's fine. I mean, there's like dramedies, but... I don't think this is a dark comedy. To me, a dark comedy is funny. <laughs> this movie wasn't funny. It had a few funny moments, but you know, it was when you laughed, it was okay to laugh. Whereas a dark comedy, you're laughing when something horrible is happening. You know? Yeah. I think there's a difference. Well, like when he's murdering those people, I'm not laughing. Whereas like 
in Pulp Fiction when when Vincent Vega shoots Marvin in the face, that's funny. Yeah. Like, it shouldn't be, but it is. <laughs> I think they're two very different things. <laughs> or like Fargo. You know, that's very much a dark comedy. There's a guy in a wood chipper and you're just like, Jesus Christ, that's, a, that's awful, but you're laughing. You know, when uh, when a police officer gets shot in the head and it's, it's blood spitting out like a geyser, that's funny. It shouldn't be, but you're laughing. You're like, holy shit. Or when Steve Buscemi gets shot in the face and he's murdering, you know, the father of his kidnap victim. And, and you just can't stop laughing because it's Steve Buscemi. I mean, that shouldn't be funny, but it is. That's a dark comedy. <laughs> and see, but my thing is, I think that comedy is subjective. It's incredibly sure, of subjective. It is. And, and they, they hammer that home at the climax of the film when he's on the Murray Franklin show. And he's talking about, you know, he tells a joke and it's knock, knock. Who's there? This is the police. Your son has died in a drunk driving accident. And he laughs. So he explains, though, that like that's comedy and, and wh- why can people say one thing's funny and another thing's not? Now, I'm on the same boat as you on what a dark comedy is, but maybe just maybe certain people can find the hilarity in this film or just the the farce in it. And I mm-hmm. think that that's done with a lot of the absurdity of like uh, the headlines for the newspaper, how it's like killer clown attacks the city and uh, the ridiculous, I don't know, um, company that is a clown company. They hire clowns to go to, to parties and all these things. I didn't know that that was such a hot business that you had to have, have a whole business or a company for it. So um, things like that. I mean, you know, I, I'm just trying to more explore what they were what they were thinking. And if that were the case, though, if Todd Phillips were actually to be like, look, this is this is what I'm going to do and, and fuck with you viewers. I think that's awesome. I'm more of, of the side of he he made an actual dramatic film. But but yeah. like the 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 joke, though, like the knock knock joke, it's not a funny one. No, it's like... not funny at all. It's, it's, it's more <laughs> it's more it's more of it is shit. But but he he has a point. I mean, he's like. It's subjective. It's like a uh, a dead baby joke. Uh, I don't find those funny, but some people do. They're disgusting. I have I have, I have laughed at a couple of them. They're um, gross. <laughs> they are so gross. And I know, but I mean, I I did I did laugh. Whereas that whole scene where he's on the talk show, it was it wasn't funny to me at all. The only there's only a handful of funny moments in this movie, and I think the only one that really comes to mind is when. The little guy tries to leave the apartment and he can't reach the, the deadbolt. <laughs> yeah. And and when he walks by, uh, Arthur Fleck like jumps out and scares him. You know, like you're waiting for it, and then when he does, it's hilarious. Yeah, um, I I on I think that's the only time I laughed in the entire movie. There were there are a couple others, and I can't specifically remember, but yeah, that part was really funny because it just it was like the most gruesome scene in the movie, and you know this poor guy is just screaming um i think his name is vince or whatever he's just screaming and arthur can you can you help me out with the door <laughs> yeah like, yeah just that alone and then the whole fact he goes ah whatever yeah it was yeah. uh I, I i thought that was interesting what makes what makes him so scary is that he's just unpredictable i mean you can you the only thing that's predictable about him is that you don't know what to expect and yes. uh, i like that and and it was great that he recognized that that this this his buddy was always nice to him, mm-hmm. and so he wasn't going to do anything to hurt him. And uh, yeah, it's it's he's already on this path, 
But I did like that he recognized that this person never wanted to hurt him in any way, shape or form. Well, and I think that that speaks to what he was saying, because when he's on the Murray Franklin show, he says, what what happened to just being kind to people? He even says that Thomas Wayne, he's like, why is everybody so rude? Like what happened to kindness? And I think that that was one of the only people that he was one of the only people that were was kind to Arthur. And he took note of that. So I was like, I will be kind to everyone from now on. Right. And and his buddy is also someone that's probably had to deal with being the butt of a joke a lot of times. Totally. Uh, because of his size. And so I think he can appreciate uh, what it's like to just be nice to another person. Um, but you t- talked about Thomas Wayne for a second. And I did think one of my most fascinating things about this movie, I think, is is the idea that maybe Thomas Wayne wasn't a saint, that he could be just as corrupt as anybody else in Gotham, and that maybe he even got his fortune from being a bit of an asshole. And, <laughs> and, uh, and that's a side that we've never really seen before, because to Bruce, his dad, you know, he idolized him. He thought he was the greatest ever. And I, I kind of like the idea that his dad is just as bad as everyone else in this city. Yeah, I totally love it. Like uh, he had an affair with with Penny, whether or not that's real. I mean, I think that was clearly um, I keep using ambiguous ambiguity, but um, I think it was very ambiguous because you don't know if if he actually committed her to a mental hospital and he is Arthur's father or if she was just making it up the whole time. And so for this Saint Thomas Wayne to be uh, potentially a horrible person like that, that you're right. That that was a really fascinating point in this film. Mm-hmm. That's probably my favorite thing about the movie. Actually, is I that a, I have a couple other favorites. Is that <laughs> we just didn't, we never really thought about that. He's always uh, Thomas Wayne has just always been recognized as being you know a, a shiny beacon in Gotham, and I, I like the idea of that. What are you laughing at? Yeah. What? Oh no, I, I sniff, sniffled. Oh. Hey, it's it's subjective. I, I laughed at a knock knock joke. All right. Yeah. <laughs> um, this movie constantly uses cross cutting to create a sense of um, unclear thoughts and and ongoings in regards to certain sequences in the film. Uh, we get hints that Arthur is letting the audience know that this isn't real. Um, and these parts specifically, do you think? Well, we we see they're an illusion, but I guess as a whole do you think this, this movie took place in Arthur's head? Uh, you know, like when he's telling the social worker, she isn't listening to him. And we see the scenes where he thinks Zashi Bates was at his comedy show and they were dating and stuff. But in reality, she had no idea who he was. Uh, do you think that this movie is taking place in Arthur's head? Uh, no, I, I think that uh, the events all transpired and and ultimately he ended up in the mental hospital. Hmm. Uh, I mean, I want to believe that um, just so I didn't waste my time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I, I get that uh, he needed a friend in his life and that's why he chose his neighbor as someone that maybe he, he connects with sometimes, you know, they share elevators together. They live in the same building. It makes sense for him to, uh, put her in his life, uh, just like he's always pretending he's on this show. Um, he lives in a fantasy world, and and the the snap out of it into we'll call it reality is when he gets 
attacked in some way or hurt by someone and uh, he has no one to go to. The social worker isn't listening to him because he he might just very well be a number to her. You know, she has files on all every crazy person that she has to deal with. And he's just another one of those crazy people to her. It's a nine to five gig for him. It's his life. And, and mm-hmm. I can see how uh, there would be a disconnect um, because she's not able to really help him. Uh, mm-hmm. And that, that would, that would weigh on anybody. Uh, if, if you're, if what you do for a living uh, doesn't give you any sort of gratification or you're not able to see uh, your results. I think that we like to be results driven and we like to see progress. And in her position, she's dealing with the same people every day that aren't getting better. And she might even feel like she's wasting her time and it starts mm-hmm. to reflect in her work. And maybe that's, uh, you know, that's, I think that's a real thing. And to me, that makes sense why he feels like she's not listening because maybe she isn't. Maybe she's just totally. like, fuck, I got to deal with this guy again. Like, God damn it, it's Tuesday at 3 o'clock. <laughs> Arthur's going to be here any second. Fucking hate Arthur. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> that could be her attitude. And that's yeah. not who you want helping you. You want someone that genuinely cares. Yeah, sure, it's their job to care. But on, on some human level, you want to see people succeed. And in her case, that will never happen. These people are never going to be better off. And and that would weigh on somebody. So when you look at it from her perspective, I think that that is uh, fascinating. Yeah, I agree. Um, he has that line, you know, for my whole life, I didn't even know I existed, but I do. And people start are starting to notice. Mm-hmm. And that's where he flips the hat backwards and becomes Lincoln Hawk. I mean, he... He, he knows what he needs to do. And early on when he's talking to the psychiatrist and he's like, are you even listening to me? Basically? Um, I think there, those that's pretty on the nose for like the telltale signs that, you know, the society is abandoning him. Right. Or at least if that's what Phillips was trying to go for in this. Um, and that's just, I wanted, isn't it crazy? Uh, like they call it a cry for help. Right. And, yes. and, and to me that I just interpret, like I'm shouting at you and you're not even hearing me. Like I'm giving mm-hmm. you all the signs, but you are you are in your own little world that you don't even recognize it. And and it's one of those things where it's like after the fact, you're like, oh my God, you know, like, let's say like a, a musician takes their own life and you're like, how could this be? But then you, when you listen to their fucking songs, every word of it was them in misery. <laughs> and you're just like, yeah. you're can. And then the thing is when you're listening to these words, you don't say, wow, this artist is really in pain. You're saying, wow, this artist gets me. You make it about me, right? You're like, oh my God, it's like they wrote this song just for me. And it's like, fuck you, man. It's not about you. It's about the poor person that's singing this song. And that's really sad that we feel that way. Totally. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? I think that's crazy. Yeah. Well, or like when you have friends that are literally saying like, I need help or like they want to reach out to you. And some people are just are so involved with themselves that they're like, oh yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm too busy tonight or something like that. You and need help. Shit. I need help deciding whether I'm going to drink Dr. Pepper or fucking mug root beer, man. <laughs> mug root beer, That's wow. how complicated my life is. And yeah. it's like, dude, come on. You're better than that. Yeah, that, that's why I always try to make sure I'm available for any of my friends at the drop of a hat, you know, within reason, obviously. But um, just because you never know what can happen. And I want to make sure that people feel noticed sure. and we don't have a, a joker situation on our hands like how i like how we call and check in on each other i think that's sweet 
Yeah, I know. It's I mean, nice. we, we talk be... to each other every week, but it's nice to just break the routine and call and say, hey, what's going on, man? How's everything? I know, except you got to stop calling me when you're taking a shit. You're always like, what's up? No, that doesn't I don't happen. Do. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Very fine. That's why I can't go to prison. I don't want to be like exposed. That's like That's my main, that is my main deterrent is I just don't want to have an exposed toilet. I can't have people watch me. Just build a fort around it. Yeah. Um, so do you want to hear my theory on this movie? And this is kind of the culmination of this episode, but do you want to hear my theory on, on if this? I have to, <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, go, mean, for it. go for it. You can, you can take your headphones. What else do you got? <laughs> so my theory is that Arthur has been in the hospital this entire time. And this whole movie is just in his head. So we, str- this is strengthened by his unreliable point of view narration. So like I was saying how he actually isn't dating Sophie and how when he thinks he's on the Murray Franklin show at the beginning and he brings him down, you know, he's like, you're always a father to me. All these unreliable things that he's saying, even the sign being stolen, we can't for sure say that that actually happened because his bosses is questioning it. And as the movie progresses, it kind of strengthens the boss's assertion. You're like, huh, maybe Arthur was making it up. There was that one small scene early on in the film when it shows Arthur in, I'm assuming, a mental hospital because he is in like a white outfit. Uh, I don't know what those are called, gowns or whatever. And he's in a padded room hitting his head against the window. Do you remember that part? Yeah. So that was very, very weird and it seemed very out of pocket, but it makes sense when I look at this movie as a whole. So I think that he created his own origin story. Because the Joker is a psychotic anarchist who is never made to be understood. So I think he creates moments in which he's a hero, right? So he his heroic moments are killing the guys on the train and starting that revolution in, in Gotham for the 99% uh, and getting the girl. Those are his heroic moments. He paints successful, more fortunate individuals like Thomas Wayne and like Franklin Murray as the villains. He's saying Murray is a is a piece of shit because he just pulls people on there to make fun of him, pulls people on his show to make fun of him. And Thomas Wayne is obviously explanatory in, in himself as being a horrible person. There was nothing that I saw in Thomas Wayne in this film that put him painted him in a good light. He just seemed like he was a piece of shit and quote unquote, he gets what he fucking deserves. So he fantasizes that that he, Arthur, the Joker, is the reason that Batman exists. Because you know that part at the end of the film when he's laughing and it then jumps to a scene of of Bruce standing over his dead parents in the alley and then jumps back to him. And she's like, why are you laughing? And he says, you wouldn't get the joke or something or you wouldn't get it. Mm -hmm. Like, did did you read anything into that scene specifically? I did not know. So that's that's where for me, that's when it clicked. I'm like, okay. after second viewing of this, when I watched it the other day, that's when it clicked. I go, you know what? He is so obsessed with Batman that he created his own origin story. And this movie dares you to root for Arthur. There's there's even that time back to Thomas Wayne, like we were talking about. He has this line and he says, what kind of coward would do something that cold blooded? Someone who hides behind a mask. Someone who is envious of those more fortunate than themselves, yet they're too scared to show their own face. And until those kinds of people change for the better, those of us who made something of our lives will always look at those who haven't as nothing but clowns. 
I thought that that was Arthur fantasizing Wayne as a villain because he's literally describing who Batman is. Mm-hmm. A- and if he were to, I, I think Joker knows who, who Batman, is. I think he knows he's Bruce Wayne, but if he were to basically think that his own father would disown him for being Batman, how is that not playing into his, his um, fanatical sense? Um, I have more evidence on it too. I, I, I think that a lot of these things happen too perfectly to seem real. Like when he sneaks into Wayne Manor, how does he sneak into Wayne Manor without being noticed? Like this huge billionaire and he just can walk up right to the gate and choke out uh, Alfred Pennyworth, who was like an SAS agent or something. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, I mean, yeah. so when, when Thomas was talking about like what kind of person would do that, um, what kind of coward would hide behind a mask kind of thing. Um, that's that's kind of what I was going at with um, why who this Thomas Wayne is. You know, his, our perception of him is very different than what Bruce's perception of him is. He, you know, he doesn't know what kind of of, of man he's going to grow up to be. And I and I found that fascinating immediately. I was like, oh shit, you're onto something. But I mean, I feel like Bruce's or Batman's whole take. It's, it's kind of, I don't want to, I don't want to get into Batman. <laughs> I, yeah. I have a real problem with Batman. <laughs> I mean, I love Batman. I love Batman movies, but to me, Superman is a far superior hero than Batman is. And I know a lot of people are going to shit on me for that, but I just, I think Superman is, is the greatest hero of all time. And false. <laughs> and I think, I think I, that's, that's why I don't want to get into it. I don't, I don't have time for this. Yeah. Yet. Sure. Uh, I know it's true, and if you don't believe it, then that's your problem. <laughs> but whatever. Um, I, I can agree that Batman's cool, but he's yeah. not better than Superman. Um, Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, mean, I, got, I got so worked up, I don't even know where I was going with it. But no, I don't. I, I, you're saying that um, Arthur is fantasizing Wayne as the villain? I, I think I think this entire film is in Arthur's head and I don't even think his name is Arthur Fleck, but it, it is in the Joker's head. And yeah, he, he's he's painting the, the typical tropes of who would be a good guy as a villain. He's he's subverting your expectations of Thomas Wayne and he even fabricates the the potential brother story because potentially him and Bruce would be half brothers. And I think that's because him and Bruce have the symbiotic relationship. Um, it's the yin, yin to the yang, but that is him creating that too. Too many of these things would be way too perfect if it actually happened. And so that's why I, I think it's completely, um, I don't know, fantasy. Right. Okay. That's fine. Yeah. Does that kind of make sense? Sure. I think, I think there's a lot of it when you, when you keep watching the film and, and break it down um, and, and just see, what happens but but yeah those are that's what i think what 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 was your theory on this movie like i think you kind of touched on it earlier i mean it was more linear for me like i don't i didn't feel like it was ever in his head i think there are parts that are in his head like people that he talks to or these ideas but i was 100 percent on board with him being pushed over the edge killing people he shouldn't and getting arrested and going to jail in true, not jail, but uh, mental hospital in true Batman fashion. They never go to jail. They go to Arkham. I know. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Always Arkham. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So 
I guess the next step would be then, do you think that potentially, hypothetically, because this movie made so much money that he could reprise his role as Joker and and face off against Batman in another film? No, I, I think they're done. I don't I don't see any. I mean, I get that it made a billion dollars and it's the most profitable comic book movie ever. And 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 everything about it screams sequel. But I don't think we want it. I don't want it. Yeah, I don't want it either. I think when you have something this good, you, you got to leave it as is. You can't shit on it. Um, I know like with Watchmen, they weren't they're not doing a follow up to the first season on, H- on HBO, mm-hmm. which which I think was some of the most perfect TV I've seen in a very long time. And I'm actually really happy about that because I don't want that to tarnish what that show meant to me. So I'm glad that they are not doing a second season. Yeah, I mean, if if, if you've told your story, <clears throat> then and so be it. There's no need to embellish on it or, or add to it. Um, I, I really like my idea of Todd Phillips and, and Joaquin Phoenix just making more villain movies. <laughs> I, Dude, I think awesome. it would be so funny if he just plays Penguin next or Riddler or whatever. Uh, yeah, I think that would I, be awesome. I, I can't remember where I heard it, but someone was saying that. Yeah, was it, that was, was me. That was me, fucker. Yeah, That's yeah. my idea. <laughs> No, it was some other guy. I think he had like justinsreviews.com or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, where he plays like the Riddler in the next movie and the Penguin and they should cut each trailer like the Joker or like Joker. Just fucking dance. <laughs> so Penguin funny. dancing with his umbrella. <laughs> Singing in the rain, man. He has to wear the fat suit though. Like, uh, like Danny DeVito did. Yeah, it's all <laughs> uncomfortable. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So the the final thing I'll ask you is... Do you think this movie is worth all the Oscar buzz and all the nominations? I don't know. I mean, I I hold the Academy in the lowest possible regard. I think it is a, a freaking freak show and a waste of time. I'm glad that people are excited when they win their awards, but I never and ever agree with whatever it is that they're trying to sell me. And I can't stand it. And I don't even watch it anymore. I used to every every year I would sit there and have Oscar parties and have a good time. And then one day I just woke up and said, you know what? This Academy is full of shit and I disagree with them and I don't want to be a part of the conversation or the show. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm in the same boat with you, but I also have a life preserver that I can jump out to. But um, basically... Like, I agree with you. I, I do think some good comes out of it, though, where you could have a lesser known actor like Olivia Coleman, who wins an award and is so genuinely excited to win that award. And and she's us. She She's exactly like us. She's like, oh, my God, look, it's Meryl Streep. Right. And that will just increase her stardom and get her more roles. Same with directors. Uh, Greta Gerwig, when Lady Bird was nominated for Best Picture a few years ago. She got a a ton of recognition and a lot more rewards and she's fantastic. So I think that it definitely sheds light on, on uh, people who maybe are up and coming or, or things that are, you know, in the works, but ultimately, yeah, I, I think it's just a bunch of older white dudes who are voting on what they think is, is a good movie. And I don't, I don't really like that that much. Um, but in terms of this movie specifically, I think cinematically, like the cinematography was absolutely superb. I, I I bought it on 4K and I am so happy about it because I thought it was such a grim feel throughout the movie. But they used a lot of really good colors like his. Did you like his outfit? Like when he actually dons the Joker makeup? Do you did you like what he was doing? Uh, no, 
Did no. He? And and oh. <laughs> I don't like his look. I don't like his outfit. Really? Yeah. I really liked yeah. it. I thought it was so cool. And it it like this film is is like, you know, nondescript 1970s maybe. But that's what it felt like. It was just yeah. Absurd. I would say He's like 1980, it, yeah. 81, maybe. 80, or, yeah, 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 yeah. Like I mean, if you watch, I mean, yeah, I would say 80, 1980, right okay. on the dot. <laughs> Not 1979, maybe December. No, like. 1980. <laughs> I've, I've tasted it. I've sniffed it. I've slurped it. It is fucking 1980. And uh, I don't know. I hated his makeup and I hated his outfit. That's so weird. I really liked it a lot. I thought it was, I thought it was awesome. I'm actually waiting for Funko to create one. I, I don't think they'll create a Funko Pop for it because it's so dark and gritty. But I like it. Uh, but yeah, I, I thought it was absolutely gorgeous. I thought the soundtrack was amazing. Um, the score was penned, and I, I'm gonna butcher her name because it's, it's like an Icelandic name, and it's very hard to say. But it's Hildur. Starts with the G. That's all I can say. It's, there's a lot, a lot of syllables there. But um, anyways, she did fantastic, and she actually won a Golden Globe this year for her score. She did Chernobyl as well, the score for Chernobyl. So I don't know if you liked that or not. But um, yeah, I like Chernobyl. Lot, yeah, lots of heavy cello. Obviously, Joaquin was amazing in this. Even Robert De Niro was really good for the minimal screen time that he had. He's just he's one of the best of all time. So, uh, but but yeah, I mean. I, I think that regardless of what what your opinions are on the movie in general, it is great at creating discussion. It's unclear plot leaves the viewer with their own interpretation of the story. I don't ever really think there is anything wrong in in other people's assertions of what its meaning is either. And it's just a very dark film. And that should be, you know, that should be known going into it. So you can't go into it being like, oh, I'm going to take my kids to see this movie. This film, a film being dark and gritty should never discount, never discount it as a great film, though. And like I had this incredible uneasiness and anxiety while watching this movie, but I still truly enjoyed it. You know, it's interesting because I don't think I I never really felt uncomfortable um, or uneasy. Um, I was I feel like I was just trying to. To soak it in, but it just it wasn't happening. Really, mm. I was I was incredibly enthralled. I just I was very uneasy any time that he would when they showed him and he's like I don't know what he's doing to his boot, but he's like trying to stretch it or something. And how skinny he is in this film and his back muscles. Yeah, he looks gross. He's a gangly, gross like man. In I just this movie. I felt so <laughs> uncomfortable. And when he smiles, just his little smirks, I. It was weird because, yeah, I, I wanted to feel bad for him, but you're like you were saying, we we know what kind of person Joker is, and and that first daydream when he's on the Murray Franklin show and he's like, I live with my mother here in the city. I take good care of my mother, right? You kind of feel bad for him because you're like, this guy's a loser. <laughs> I don't think I said that. <laughs> I did, but I didn't. But I I didn't want to feel bad for him because I'm like, no. He's evil. I know. I know this guy. So I think that was brilliant in in, in how they were doing that. They really made you kind of test test the waters a little bit. But regardless, I mean, there's so many opinions on this movie and each person can feel different when they leave it. I've heard so many different theories on what this is. Like, obviously, my theory is the right one that it was all in his head. But (laughs) um, there are ones just like yours that are like, hey, this is very linear. There are ones that are like, this is just setting up for the next world or whatever. Right. 
Uh, and I think that the, the Joker's origin is just shrouded in mystery forever. And you and I talked about this on our, on our previous Batman episodes. So Todd Phillips isn't wrong in his interpretation of this story of Joker because it's just his version of it. And so I think a lot of those critics need to just pump the brakes real quick and realize that it's okay. That, you know, this, this was a, a good movie film in my opinion. All right. That's fair. I, I just feel like as far as like it all being in his head, like, uh, Mm -hmm. so like at the end when he's got blood on his, on his shoe, like he, it's Mm -hmm. quite possible. He murdered the nice person he was talking to the, the doctor. Um, yeah, I just feel like that was setting the stage for, you can't keep a good clown down and uh, he'll be back and he'll be out. Like he always is. He's always getting out of Arkham. He's always causing a ruckus as it were. And, (laughs) and to me, that's just showing that's further cementing that he belongs out there in the wild. Um, he, he can't be caged and, all the building blocks that we saw throughout the movie were leading to that and to show us that. So to think that it was all in his head, it's like, okay, so what he's been crazy this whole time. He didn't, he didn't go crazy. I just don't understand why it should be interpreted that way. So I, I think, well, in the killing joke, he, he, he states that, I mean, his origin story, he likes to consider it as multiple choice. So while I don't think that all of this is completely made up in his head, I think that he took little elements of it, but he definitely had some uh, creative freedom to to adjust how it was and maybe make the viewer feel for him and in him look like a typical. But, but why why should he where... care what other people think? I don't think I don't think he well, does exactly. Well, 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 I know, but I'm just saying in, in the sense of just this movie as this topical movie, like this is why I just think that he is such an anarchist that the scene that you're I understand the scene you're talking about, like when he's walking away, that's after he's already kind of we see him now in reality where he's laughing about the the Bruce Wayne being in the alley with his parents. This whole thing hypothetically could be a story for why he and Bruce are 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 linked or the maybe he thinks he created Batman. Maybe he's so crazy that he thinks he created Batman. It's just one interpretation of, of taking it. I mean, what I'm saying is, is not, you know, gospel, but (laughs) this is how I perceived it on my second Uh viewing. But I agree with you. I mean, he, he is one of those people that needs to be in the wild, in the wild, but this movie, if you were to cut out, all of it that I think is not in his head, it would start from him hitting his head on the walls in Arkham and then end with him laughing, talking to that doctor and then says, you know, you wouldn't get the joke. So it would be a three or four minute movie. (laughs) That's, that's the way that I look at it. Yeah. But you know, I may be right. I may be wrong. I may be crazy. Why, why would, why would he give himself such a shit job? Well, I think, but I think he's trying to show that, hey, feel bad for me because this is this is how shitty it was for me. Like, does he want to feel bad for him though? Why would he care? So, so, so I, I I don't know. I think it's it's more he started from nothing and rose up and became something, 
you know, like for his, his whole life, he didn't feel like he existed. And now people are starting to notice. I, I, I think that's why he he presented that is because you, you wanted to look at him like, oh, he's just a stupid clown who whatever. He's, he, he's a nobody. He's he's a rat in this society and we don't really care about him. And now people care about him after the killings. He did something drastic and it turned the tides. And now people are noticing him. Mm -hmm. Not directly, but yeah. Fascinating. I know. That's why I really liked this movie a lot. And so that leads me into my rating. I give this movie on a letter grade. I give this movie an A. Just an A. Not an A minus. Not an A plus. An A. What about you? Um, I'd probably give it like a like a B minus. That's still passing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is, and I think it's in line with uh, you know, critics and audience viewers. I think that it has a lot of really cool things going for it, specifically how it was shot. But I, and it's probably a good thing. Like I never got on board the Joker train. Like I never thought that what he was doing was right. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's his story and that's great, but I have zero sympathy, which is probably a good thing. Yeah. And, um, it's, again, it's not a world I want to revisit. I just, I don't find this to be, uh, the a world that I like or enjoy. And I think that it, it does a good job of showing how terrible people can be, uh, both, on both sides, uh, uh, Joker is is a very extreme, obviously. But the people that were mean to him is not someone that I ever want to be. You know, I would never want to make fun of someone or jump them or or judge them in a way that they do in this movie. Um, if I if if I see someone that is a character that I just don't want to be a part of, I usually just go somewhere else. You know, I, I find myself to be a pretty good judge a character but let's just say that i saw i was on a train with with arthur and he starts laughing and doing his thing i wouldn't single him out i would go to a different car i would just distance myself from that person i have no idea what they're going through and i just feel like it would be in everyone's best interest if i left them alone now the flip side of that is if you know there have been times where i've been in the city and someone was upset and crying i checked on them like, hey, are you doing okay? Do you need anything? Do you need me to call somebody? Um, is, is there someone coming to get you or whatever? You know, I have that dialogue when I see someone is distressed. But when I see someone that's just a little weird or I get a, like a creepy vibe from, I just sort of distance myself. Totally. So, yeah, um, that's all I have to say about that. I think that's really good, <laughs> really good insight. Um, did you see Taxi Driver or King of Comedy? Yeah, both. Uh, Taxi Driver was my first DVD in mm. uh, 1998. I got that along with Total Recall. There were only like 19 movies to choose from, and those are the ones that I got. And um, man, my first DVD player was $500. you believe that? Holy shit. Yeah. Now you can get them they're next to the gum in the checkouts, man, for like eight cents. Um, I don't know crazy. what kind of gum you're chewing, but. Oh, you know, the recycled kind. And um, shit. <laughs> yeah so yeah i had seen i had seen taxi driver that was my first experience i was 18 um and and i was like holy smokes i had obviously known what the movie was because the whole are you talking to me thing but i had never seen it from start to finish and so i saw that and then uh king's comedy i saw 
uh, probably like 10 years ago or so. Uh, I was much older. The, it had been out, obviously, for a really, really long time. But um, uh, same thing. It's, it's a movie that I can watch. <clears throat> the difference between the two, what's fascinating about uh, Kings of Comedy is, uh, have you seen it, first of all? So I have not, and I've actually never seen Taxi Driver, but I know enough about both of those movies to basically say I've seen it. But no, I have not seen them. <laughs> okay. So I'll disagree with you there, because I think that if you were to watch Taxi Driver and, and Kings of Comedy, you would see uh, the parallels with with Joker, but the characters are completely... Uh, uh, like on the same on the same length, like the same wavelength as Joker. Um, you know, uh, in Taxi Driver, he is a nobody that uh, is is just sort of in the crowd. You know, lost in the crowd. He's literally just a taxi driver. He, he drives people around. No one notices him. And then you know he has like a mental breakdown. And then with uh, Kings of Comedy, he is a struggling comedian who has a uh, who's crazy. He is a crazy man. Um, he is very unstable. He is, has this stalker celebrity envy and he's trying to, to have a moment with the talk show host. And, and when he gets that, when he just says, Hey, he, he, they like fabricate like him saving his life, De Niro saving, um, Jerry Lewis's life. And, um, when they're in a car together, he's like, you know, thank you. If you ever need me anything, you know, in a, in a, in a rhetorical, Hey, if you need something, let me know kind of thing. You know, right. like when you, when you, when you have a friend that's like sick and you're like, Hey, if you need anything, let me know. But right. you know that if they say, yeah, can you pick me up a soup? You're like, fuck, <laughs> shouldn't have thrown myself out there. I really don't <laughs> want to help you. I just think it's the polite thing to do. So right. Jerry Lewis is just being polite. And then De Niro's character interprets that as, Oh my God, we're best friends. Totally. And, and, he goes crazy. He's literally stalking him. He has this 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 crazy envy for him, and he wants to be a part of his life. But the difference is, ultimately, uh, when when like he kidnaps him, and he's like, "Look, you better put me on your fucking show, or else," kind of thing. And so he actually gets to go on the t- the show, and he kills it. He's actually a funny guy, mm-hmm. and 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 everyone loves him. And then <laughs> and it's it's crazy because it's one of those things it's like it's like giving in to terrorist demands <laughs> right uh but but the two de niro's playing like the same character it's it's crazy obviously yeah. joker's been around longer than 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 he has his name was um oh my god he had, it's like it's like bup bupkin or something like that pupkin i think his name was pupkin and uh no one can ever get his name right because they don't give a shit about him. <laughs> and uh, he literally goes to the studio every single day to meet up with with uh, with uh, Jerry Lewis. Mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah, he's busy. He's an appointment. But he doesn't care. He comes every single day to the point where the studio is just like, dude, get the fuck out of here, man. No one wants to talk to you. You're, cre- <laughs> you're creeping me out a bit. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, he's, it's just kind of pushed to that edge. And, and, and falling down, you know, we talked about that earlier. That's that's on the same wavelength. Like here's a guy who who already had mental health issues to the point where his wife left him because she felt threatened by him. He is a, a dangerous human being. And he's he lives this life where he goes to work every day and he sits in traffic every day and he's dealing with just everyday problems. We all find a way to deal with it, but at a certain point, he just he hits his breaking point. And he can't he can't take it anymore. He just says, "Fuck it, I'm a I'm gonna start killing people. I'm gonna do shit the way I want to do." 
and and it and it doesn't work. You're gonna go you're gonna go down like a sweet muffin. And <laughs> um, you know, we're lucky that in Gotham, Batman exists to take down Joker. But totally. Um, in in the real world, there's crazy people out there every goddamn day, and people are getting shot and they're getting murdered, and and we don't have a Batman. We just have we just have the nice police to take care of it. And and it's scary, man. It's there's some really scary fucked up people out there. And and I can appreciate why someone you know, we were talking about this earlier, how people are talk shitting on this movie when they haven't even seen it. And and I get it. Like why why do they want to see just a creep? You know? It's totally. it's it's gross. Um so with you describing those films, it honestly like if I were somebody who knew nothing about those, but I had only seen Joker, I'd be like, oh, you're describing a good majority of Joker. Uh, so I, I, I see how there was a ton of influence in that. And that makes sense how Marty Scorsese was supposed to be a producer on this film or whatever. But there's definitely and Phillips was saying there's definitely inspiration from those films. Uh, and they, I mean, like, shit, they have Robert De Niro. His name is Rupert Pupkin. Pupkin, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But how, how they even have him on there. I mean, it's this same kind of like stuff. So, yeah, I think that that is uh, it's fascinating. And maybe I'll have to watch those two movies, though. Yeah, they're, uh, they're, they're pretty crazy. Pretty Central good. Bernhardt is in uh, yeah. King of Comedy. He is. Um, all right, man, that's all I have. Do you have anything else? No, I have nothing. Did you buy this movie? This movie got me fired up. Uh, yeah, it was uh, it was like eight bucks on HD Movie Code, so I was like, all right, fine, I'll just me too. Get it. Did you get it in four K? No, I got it in regular K. Mine was ten dollars for it in four K, so pretty happy. Nice. But um, yeah. but I again, I, I don't, I don't think I need to watch this movie ever again. Maybe in in whatever twenty years, I'll be like, oh yeah, I remember that movie. It's fucking. It's gross. <laughs> Check out all that garbage on I the street. I will be okay watching it again because I think the cinematography was absolutely incredible in it. So, um, yeah. How about you take us home? Uh, anyway, thank you for listening to an episode of the Don't Be Crazy podcast. Um, it got a little got a little weird. This is a this is a ugly movie, and it became an ugly podcast. I don't like it. Now I regret picking this movie. <laughs> This was me. I, I have I have the one the one bad choice. Uh, but thank you for listening. Always a pleasure talking to you, Mister Rancourt. And uh, even though you have the worst taste in movies, it's always <laughs> it's always fun to chat about it. Uh, remember to follow us on the Twitter there at dbcrazypod, uh, at zachdale60, and of course at Edgy Armo. Love chatting the movies, uh, just not this one. I. Uh, I, I made a mistake. That happens once a decade, and I just got it out of the way in January of 2020. <laughs> so I'm good to go for the next 10 years. Uh, anyway, thank you again for listening, and uh, have a wonderful day. Thank you so much. 22 goddamn fucking years. <laughs> <laughs> Happy! That was good.